Hello and welcome to our podcast. At In Diverse Company, we help organisations to create inclusive cultures that are not just good for business, but good for people too. We've been fortunate enough to meet some fantastic influencers in this space that really brings to life why inclusion is important, not just from a work perspective, but also the effects of change in the wider society. We'll be covering topics such as mental well-being, social mobility, men's mental health, neurodiversity and everything in between. Our podcast series is a chance for our listeners to be able to share some fantastic stories as well as taking away some key insights that can be put into practice. We hope you find this valuable. Hi everyone, I'm um, Johanna Beresford, the CEO of Indiverse Company. And I'm really pleased to be joined by um, Ete Davis today to talk about social mobility. Um, Ete, would you start by introducing yourself? Yeah, hi, I'm uh, Ete Davies, the CEO of uh, Engine Creative. Uh, we're a marketing and uh, advertising agency. Um, I've been in the uh, advertising industry for about 17 uh, and a half years, um, mainly digital agencies. Um, uh, you know, working on a number of different sectors and different brands, everything from FMCG through to uh, automotive, travel, uh, financial services. Um, I've been lucky enough to work in the US, in, in Asia uh, and in Europe uh, through that role. Um, yeah, that's pretty much me, point in history. I also am the founder of um, a couple of diversity uh, and inclusion initiatives uh, within the industry. Uh, so the founder of We Are Stripes and Culture Heroes, and, and they seem to, they seek to help with uh, BAME representation, uh, recruitment and uh, retention across the creative industries. Mm-hmm. And um, maybe just really interesting to hear about those, uh, Ete, a little bit about the work that you've done in, in that area, because uh, I, and I know that there's been lots of success from, from both of those. Yeah, so We Are Stripes is, uh, it's focused on the entire career path, but uh, predominantly on, on entry level. Uh, and what it provides really is is access um, to uh, communities, uh, like BAME communities, underrepresented communities um, into the industry through uh, mentoring, through uh, career paths, through um, knowledge resources, networking, and, and sort of education on, on roles and, and job opportunities, you know, in, internships. Um, but similarly, it also works with uh, a lot of the organizations and institutions um, uh, within the industry to, to look at their recruitment paths and um, look at their pipeline, uh, where they are searching talent, you know, the eradicating the bias within their mm-hmm. pipeline, uh, recruitment and interview processes. Um, so that's what uh, we are stripes does. Um, Culture Heroes is focused very much on the uh, upper end of the career funnel. So um, uh, making lasting change through more representation in leadership of people from um, black, uh, Asian or minority ethnic uh, backgrounds. And uh, mm-hmm. so there is to create and support the next generation of uh, BAME creative uh, leadership. And that's again through uh, mentoring, it is through uh, leadership development programs and, and training, uh, it's through networking for opportunities, uh, it's also critically through um, uh, sort of slightly arcane mechanism of sponsorship. And so, you know, when you're breaking into 
the sort of the director and C-suite levels, a lot of that time, a lot of the time, those roles um, uh, aren't widely advertised. They sort of pass through people's networks or recommendations. Uh, and so if you don't have those networks, you can't break through. And obviously there's mm-hmm. systemic uh, prejudices, prejudices um, that prevent that. Uh, similarly, if your profile hasn't been raised enough throughout your career, either through work or opportunities like this or um, or through reputation, um, then you're also not on the radar at all. Yeah. Um, so that's that's what we do. We help to sort of, I guess, break through. I don't want to say it's a ceiling. It's more like a concrete platform. Yeah. <laughs> break, break through that, but also start to make sure that um, – those leaders that we have are being supported, developed, you know, retained in the right businesses, um, and also being um, like uh, promoted, not just from a career point of view, but from a reputation point of view across the industry and getting the right recognition um, for their talents. Yes. Yeah. And that network and sponsorship, Peter, will probably come on to during this conversation because that, that, that for me is, is a really key part of um, a, a lot of the, the talk around social mobility and, and people being able to move from wh- where they are now to a, to a different kind of e- economic status because networks are so influential in that. Mm. So my, my first question um, is there's been a lot of talk around social mobility in the UK, um, lots of ins- incentives to try and improve it but in your view what's your perception of the UK situation and what are the key things that need to be addressed to really begin to make a difference yeah I mean that's it's quite an expansive question I guess from my um from my point of view uh the last decade um has has been and has probably led to the worst era, I think, for social mobility that you know I, I've experienced or in, in my living history, um, a lot has been the result of prolonged period of austerity. Um, mm-hmm. But that austerity actually just serves to um, amplify um, uh, challenges within the system for people uh, to be you know filled towards social mobility. Um, That's sort of the biggest uh, thing which lots of the- themes sit under for me is the underfunding and the underinvestment in family t- families, communities, and, and critically young people. Um, so we're not really building a future for social mobility, or are we enabling the present uh, for it either? Um, I think there was a study done last year by the uh, Social Mobility Commission, um, and they said that um, in- inequality will remain entrenched uh, from birth to work unless the government uh, you know, take urgent action, and that the situation had remained virtually stagnant since promises from government in 2014. Um, so very little progress. I mean, we have something close to, I think, half a million children in poverty. You know, the last decade has seen about a 70% uh, budget cut in youth services. Um, uh, council early years spending is uh, down, I think, 52% in the last decade. Um, as well as a su- sustained and consistent closure of things like Sure Start centres, uh, mm-hmm. so, you, you know those access points <clears throat> for help and advice on child, family health, parenting, you know, training, employment. Um, they're sort of closing down all across the country, as well as you know, uh, uh, care for preschool children. So you know, for parents who are unable to provide the childcare to in themselves then work and then create opportunities. 
mm. for their children. Um, yeah, also tied into the underfunding and closure of many, many state schools. Um, and then, you know, so that you're sort of targeting people, at, you know, particularly young people at a very early age where you're limiting the opportunities and the access that they have um, critically through education, but, you know, uh, other resources for the family unit uh, to, to be more uh, socially mobile. But then, um, you know, we've got a long-standing history in, in this country and particularly in our industry of further education and particularly university being people's path to um, professional, like professional services careers, which typically earn more, more, more money or like at least mm-hmm. equipping people with um, a network of yes. know, people who exist in the professional services space. And as we said before, is that um, one of the key things is not just the knowledge that you acquire, but the relationships that you build mm-hmm. and the networks that mm-hmm. you have um, to get yourself out of that situation. And, and university is a big part of that. Um, and so is further education, be that college or, you know, um, uh, whatever else. And, you know, the last, uh, again, the last decade, we've seen a reduced number of, you know, university or further education grads because the, the cost of tuition is just, you know, beyond affordability for the vast majority of families, even those earning above the sort of, you know, national average or you know, like sit, sitting in what you could classify as middle class. And within our industry, uh, and others, I assume, that there's still a bias and a, a prerequisite for um, postgraduate, you know, uh, undergraduate, you know, sort of uh, professional qualifications in order just to apply for a role. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, it's, we just, it's just a self-perpetuating system. And, you know, uh, to the point in childcare, I think it's, I read somewhere that it's about £40,000 to support a child uh, you know the average national salary is what twenty six. Uh, yes. So it just it just as I said, it, it creates a, a system that entrench entrenches and perpetuates uh, it for young people, for families, and then communities as a result, um, whereby it's impossible to make any progress. Um, uh, and then you know, just looking more specifically, I would say at our industry. Um, uh, you know, although a lot of these issues do exist in London, I think the London centricity of the advertising agencies mm-hmm. is really quite prohibitive at, an, at a national level because the colleges, the unities, the businesses—they're all based here, um, and it's not a cheap city to to live in to support yourself. Uh, and the salaries, particularly for people of entry level, you know, education aside, uh, are not equivalent with the cost of living. Um, so yeah. you know, we're, we're cutting off to tons of talent um, that are outside of the cities and the metropolitan areas. So um, critically, um, the government investing more in in families and communities and, and young people, you know, and not just the government. I, I think the time's come really for private uh, gonna... industries and investments to invest in, you know, what is ultimately going to be our competitive advantage uh, and our sources as a nation, really, because if we're talking about becoming a service-based economy or a knowledge-based economy, like we need skilled people with that, that knowledge and, you know, that specialism in the service sector to do that. And at the moment, you know, we are um, creating a reverse situation of nurturing that. Um, and we need to mobilize and nurture that talent on, on a national level. It can't just stay in the city. So yeah, more investment in, in those community programs like the early years, the short starts, mm-hmm. uh, educational reform. I know that's a, a big thing um you know real uh 
I guess, sustained and unilateral investment in things like apprenticeships and work placements and, and internships. At the moment, it's sporadic, it's uncoordinated. There's not enough money put to those things. Um, and, you know, the choice of further education, you know, as we said before, isn't, isn't an option for many people financially, but also doesn't work for some people, you know, logistically or, you know, um, uh, psychologically in terms of how they learn. Um, and so I like that, like investment really from government and, you know, sort of, and also private companies um, into our future. Yes. Yeah. No, absolutely. No. I was going to touch on, and you answered it already around organization, corporate's responsibility. And in, in here, I absolutely agree. There needs to be much more investment from, from a government perspective. But often I, I see when organizations are thinking about, their, their, t- their talent issues and needing to bring in different new skills, diff- different demographics, often they're looking at it at a very short-term view yeah. and the short-term view isn't going to solve it because you're not going to get a different demographic unless you're making an investment at at early years. Mm-hmm. And, I think some, and I've seen some great schemes um, that many organisations have been running over probably the last two, three, three years. But I think they're focused on too late in, in the education system. So there are things, you know, looking at the kind of 16 to 18 year olds, but actually people make a decisions around subjects that they're taking much, much earlier on. So actually a lot of the, the schemes and the interventions, I think, need to be done much earlier in, in a children's kind of uh, t- t- time at school yeah. as well. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And I think also um, much, much earlier with the sort of wider kind of family family unit, really, the, the sort of uh, investment and sort of knowledge and, and, and access to the opportunities in the private and the public sector for people to, to, to have career paths. Because, you know, as you pointed out, often by the time, you know, young people have access to that information, it's, it's, it's too late. Um, like in many cases, they aren't the people that hold the funding or you know the the money really to decide on where their educational path can take them to the future. Um, uh, and so then there's a job that's put on young people at the final hurdle to convince the family unit or to convince whoever is you know supporting them uh, to take a risk or a gamble when actually the the, the, the that conversation and that awareness uh, and access can start a lot earlier. Uh, yes. and ultimately give people time to plan to adjust mm-hmm. um to sort of seek where they can get sources of uh support um to to build for better futures and in, invest in their children and um you know as we both said sort of investing in the talent pipeline which is going to be you know uh, the as the government and you know many um private companies labor is going to be the central resource for our economy mm-hmm. you, you invest in that long term Yes. Yeah. No. Absolutely. And there was something else that you s- said there around, you know, particularly for your industry, and it, it, it's not just for um, that industry. I think it's across the board. So much, so many jobs um, exist exist in London, and and I've always had the view that um, actually, unless you've got the ability for someone else to fund your your living, it's very hard to get your first job and afford to live, pay rent and, and, and you know, ba- basic needs. 
um, to, to move to move to London. She would, you know, most people have to either have somewhere that they can live or fi- additional financial support. I think that you know, th- if we think about what's what's twenty twenty brought for us and 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 the pandemic, the way that we're we're having this this conversation today, mm. I I really see an opportunity for organisations to think of of a different model that actually provides jobs across the country um, and uh, enables uh, them to have access to a broader range of, of, of talent across across the UK. What, what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, 100%. I, I feel like um, the Pandora's box has been opened uh, on that, you know, and it says there's no way of uh, closing it. And, and by that, I mean, I sort of think back to, to five years ago, and you know, uh, being on a panel talking about uh, it was actually talking about working mothers uh, and just saying and the challenge from other parts of the panel was that like it'd be too much to adjust uh, to allow flexible working hours or people to work from home and you know, all the thoughts around uh, culture and process and client demands and and so on and you know the the sort of uh, hand wringing over investment. Um, and I challenged it at the time to say, like, if it was business critical, if you had a client on the other side saying to you, look, these are my demands, you know, we would all turn and, and sort of remodel the business like that yeah. because we don't place the same value on accommodating our talent. Um, yeah. What the pandemic has done is forced that issue. Um, and mm-hmm. it's it's actually quite incredible how many businesses um, – cited that narrative yet in the space of about two weeks some of them with thousands of employees were able to move to remote working working from home almost overnight yes um, and now many of them are talking about oh yeah we'll carry on doing this uh, for the foreseeable future um I, I think it it then as i said opens an, op- an opportunity um which can can't really be reneged on that actually talent can work from anywhere in the UK because we're in the same time zone and you know we're a very connected country um, because we're doing it uh, and many businesses are going to be continuing doing it for the you know mm-hmm. and uh, long-term future so at that point you go do we need to be London centric you know we should be mobilizing talent uh, across the UK and the smart businesses will actually see that as an advantage because yes. the people that you weren't able to tap into now, uh, you can tap into and you know uh, as I said any competitive business will suddenly realize that the entirety of the UK could be their talent pool rather than actually what's a very localized market in London and that that's a huge advantage for a business in terms of resources and skills and expertise. No a- absolutely absolutely. Um, my, my next question's really want to talk about this topic and I don't think that I can do it without addressing the impact from the pandemic and also what's um, been raised as an incredibly important topic in, in terms of the Black Lives Movement over the past couple of weeks. What We've touched a little bit there on, on the pandemic and the opportunity that, that this would could potentially bring to tapping to a wider talent pool across across the UK and that same model I think is could be applied in in in, in most geographies mm. what are your views specifically on the black community in terms of, of, of social mobility 
Yeah, well, I, I guess, I mean, as a starting point, obviously the pandemic itself on a macro level has exposed um, a lot of the inequities in the system around uh, around healthcare, around social mobility. There's obviously a disproportionate death rate um, from people within black or minority ethnic communities. Um, but there's also a higher number of us that work as key or essential workers or frontline staff or transport to healthcare. Um, but there, there are under, it's clear that there are underlying um, systemic issues with regards to, within the healthcare system, with regards to uh, treatment of both patients and professionals that might be compounding uh, some of that, as well as, as we mentioned before, sort of uh, higher population density in cities and, and culturally means that, you know, and it's harder to self-isolate uh, mm -hmm. in households and certain um, uh, communities. I think Public Health England uh, have a statistic that says um, uh, black, uh, Asian, minority, ethnic communities are more likely to be infected because infected they have a, um, as a higher likelihood um, of high-risk jobs and to live in deprived areas and crowded households. Um, mm -hmm. There's still a lot that I think needs to be unpacked and I think are... Uh, our government needs to explain transparently and also have a plan to resolve, which is, is not happening at the moment. Um, uh, specifically looking within, you know, uh, the industry that I work in and the opportunities for social mobility for people you know, in, the, in the black community there, um, the pandemic, the economic effects of the pandemic has meant there's a blanket pause on all recruitment, um, mm -hmm. which then also meant things like, uh, work experience and you know internships uh, all cancelled. I think sixty eight percent of work experience has been cancelled in twenty twenty across the board. Um, funding for a lot of DNI initiatives um, have also been cut back or cancelled, mm -hmm. um, and so that will that critically affects the talent pipeline, um, but also affects making the organisations more inclusive through all those what the work those initiatives are doing. Um, to support the entry and the retention of, you know, um, uh, people from the black community and other ethnic underrepresented groups uh, into the industry. That's then compounded by many businesses looking at cost-saving measures, um, which have ranged from everything from furloughs to redundancies. Um, and uh, there are studies happening at the moment, but um, uh, the sort of the risk with that is that quite often when those measures are taken, um, biases start to creep into the decision-making. Um, and so you then have um, uh, a situation whereby there's less opportunities for people to enter into an industry that, you know, can actually be quite rewarding uh, financially, socially, economically, um, but then... Uh, the retention is compounded by uh, redundancies and and furloughs being disproportionate. Um, mm -hmm. Like it just it sort of hits at both sides really. So less people coming in and and you know more people being squeezed out and less focus on actually trying to make um, a more diverse business. That, that those are like the recruitment thing is very real. The sort of uh, the redundancy and the furlough issue, um, I believe, is real. And I said people like Creative Equal, they're running reports at the moment. And I wouldn't be surprised at all if the reports evidence what I've just uh, said on that side. Mm -hmm. um, uh, I mean, when it comes to uh, Black Lives Matter movement, uh, you know, they've been doing uh, like solid, great work since 2013. 
um, to try and uh, uh, highlight and uh, like address the issues of systemic racism, both in the US, but also globally, and sort of push for the sort of structural uh, change that needs to happen, both at a society and a government level, and you know, things like police reform. Um, the last 10 days, um, I think one of the results of the pandemic with everyone being indoors, isolated, and, and really getting a lot of our social interaction and our news through um, various social media channels and from the TVs, it's, it's, it's zeroed out everything else that would be a distraction to actually expose and, and surface uh, some of the horrible things and atrocities that are happening as a result of you know, uh, racism and prejudice and systemic inequality and um, has, you know, uh, triggered something both within the community whereby, um, you know, people have said enough is enough, um, but also outside of the community where people who may have been ignorant to them have suddenly gone, mm -hmm. this shocking that this happened in my country or in, you know, in, in other countries. And so um, uh, what's, what's seen is like a global groundswell and, you know, sort of a rise in uh, vocal allyship um, outside of the community um, that I, uh, I've i never seen before in, mm -hmm. in, in my lifetime. And that's on a sort of organisational level. It's with brands. It's, you know, in certain layers of uh, government and public service. Now, some of the responses have been performative. Um, you know, some, some of them have not. Um, uh, both within the public and uh, sphere and also the, the private sphere. Um, uh, I think we're at a moment in time uh, whereby um, there is uh, a momentum uh, to push <coughs> for structural and systemic change um, mm -hmm. more than's ever been before, you know. So real change to policy, real change to education, to economic funding, uh, you know, to representation, um, uh, across all, you know, layers of society from, you know, leadership of private enterprises to government leadership to, you know, the sort of physical representations we have of history, you know, in the statues being torn down. Um, uh, and also like a, a desire for this to be like um, real lasting change and, and, and progress uh, to address this sort of the systemic uh, like legacy uh, issues and, uh, that are related to racism and as a result of which those things that then become pernicious barriers to social mobility. Um, so I, like, I, I personally, um, uh, uh, I'm sort of, uh, working towards that as I know, you know, uh, many others are in terms of how do we sort of, um, push for sort of, uh, long-term sustained change in this and, and use this, this moment, uh, to sort of, to, to drive that really. Yeah, no, so, and, and so, so much in what you just were talking to there, Etik. And I, as you were as you were speaking, and you know the Black Lives Movement and, and how long it has been there, and, and as you're saying, and and I agree. Um, in my lifetime, this is the uh, the the most attention this topic has yeah has been has been raised, and and I think for those that work in the area of diversity and inclusion or have already been talking to their organizations it's you know to, to, to some extent it's not new news but mm -hmm. and for a large proportion of 
the population, it, it is. It, it's the first time that it's it's on their radar every day. And I and I think sometimes, you know, you you've been working in this this area, been campaigning for for, for it so for so long. It's not not new news. And I, and I also think as well, there is so much then in in the history and helping those white people, those people that aren't black, actually ha- needing to educate themselves on the history of this to understand yeah. why this is systematic and systemic racism, why the things around history have meant. And I was reading a really interesting piece um by a lady in, in, in India, and she was talking around the comparisons of, or that you shouldn't be making the comparisons in terms of racism for someone that is Indian to someone that is black, because history and the narrative is just so fundamentally different. Uh-huh. You know, think about it in the context of, of the UK, bringing people in to be slaves is very different, bringing people into the country to be doctors, to be lawyers, to be, so that therefore, you know, that there is just so much that has meant lead us to to where to be where we where we are to today. Yeah. Um, and I, and I think on that that point on the structural and systemic change, and you know, you mentioned a few things there: funding, government reform, organisations needing to entirely review their policies, that that the processes. There's, there's something else I really strongly believe in um, around this, and that's around behaviour change. Yeah. I think until we have both systematic change and behaviour change, we, w- we won't see any progress. Because if, if we think in the past there have been laws that have been passed, yeah. um, civil rights movements, and yet I, f- I feel that we are further back now than we were 10 or 15 years ago yeah. and, um, and changing the way people behave and their attitudes and beliefs is is, is difficult and yeah. and I'm interested in in your view on on that yeah I, I I totally agree with you I think there are there are it is those two tiers it is the, the sort of the structural things and the um the behavioral sort of um uh social codes and you know kind of currencies that 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 exist that now need to be challenged um I, I think a big part of that um starts with education um as you mentioned before both self-education but also critically um national education i think uh, you know obviously the work being done by the black curriculum to sort of look to um uh, to change more of that and the sort of representation that you know black uh, history, but also you know highlighting some of the truth around British history um, within the curriculum. And the, the, the reason that's so important as a society level is, you said, as we said before, sort of building for the future. But most importantly, is that like you know if you are uh, in a, a metropolitan city like London, you're in a reasonably diverse school and it's more progressive in its ability to, you know, teach a fair representation of history. Um, so be it. But if you are somewhere slightly more remote, where the majority of the population is is white, and you actually wouldn't encounter many people um, from different ethnicities, different uh, kind of um, uh, backgrounds, and that part of history isn't taught to you, 
what we're doing is we're basically creating bastions of um, uh, education and progression and bastions of, of ignorance through no fault of the young people in those areas. Um, so that's why I think the education, you need that reform at a national level in, in schools, in, in, in everywhere else. I think um, within organisations, um, the behavioural change is very is a very deep rooted thing that needs to be led really by leadership, you know, like mm-hmm. leadership one modeling those behaviors, but also, you know, you have leaders talk so much about culture and values and how those things are intrinsic to the output of the business or how people work together. Um, and I think uh, diversity, inclusion and awareness of the experience of the black community of other ethnic uh, minority communities and, you know, um, uh, like modeling inclusive behaviors uh, and really, you know, sort of uh, inculcating inclusive cultures and behaviors and ways of working into your company values and, and culture sits on the leadership team. But it's um, it, it, it has to be a focus to sort of lead to that uh, behavior change. And it's it's beyond inclusion or, or bias training, um, you know, making sure that yes, those things need to happen, but they don't just stop at a tick box or a theory. Like, how are you wholesale changing the way that you expect people to behave in your business? Um, How are you managing and monitoring that and sort of um, actually encouraging people to display more of the behaviours and also challenge their perceptions, you know, and and their mindsets, um, you know, enabling employees to really understand their privileges to understand the complexities uh, of uh, of history and and respect you know um, other communities that they work with and and moving people from just being um, passively non racist actually to be sort of actively against racism and and you know going out of their way to call things out when they feel uncomfortable even if they feel uncomfortable with it to sort of challenge the opinion of others not to let you know that sort of infamous water cooler comment happen if it's with a group of white employees and no one's around, they'll actually challenge it because fundamentally within the values that you have as an individual and as a business, this is wrong. It doesn't matter who it's said within or the context of which it is said. Um, I think those those are things that need to be re- led by leadership and reinforced throughout, uh, throughout the business. And, um, you know, one, I guess, kind of one small step that every individual could could take, um, you know, is is just look at their own makeup, you know, and their own circle and actually start to um, seek out different points of view, you know, and sort of um, uh, seek out experiences with uh, other communities, other other people, like self-educate, you know, that's the that's the one step that actually is within all of our gift yeah. um, and that we can all we can all basically take tomorrow to try and, you know, approach the situation with a fresh mindset and, and start to educate ourselves. Yeah, no, absolutely. And again, I think that that's the one thing that I, I, I'm an ever optimist, but there has been so much consistency in that message. Mm. And I think that feels different to some of the conversations that we've around that piece of, of, edu- of education. And, and, and I think that that commitment has to be on every single white person to understand white privilege to understand that it exists why it exists and 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 as you say to not be the person that is not 
saying something, not doing something wrong, but when they see it, to be caught calling it out. And I, I feel very strongly around the psychology of we only ever change when we are made to feel uncomfortable. Yeah. Learn our best when we're made to feel uncomfortable. Mm. We often excel when we're made to feel uncomfortable. So actually this, this work is going to be incredibly difficult for many people, but that therefore is, is, is a challenge and, and it is, it, it's a good opportunity when you're making people feel, un- feel uncomfortable. There's yeah. more chance that, that things will, will change. Yeah. And I absolutely agree there with your point around leadership mm. and modeling inclusive behaviours, and and that that has to be consistent. Those are things that leaders can't be saying one thing, behaving a different way, but it's also something that we can't just behave a different way for a week or a month. It's mm. got to be something that is then integrated yeah. into everything that we're doing. Yeah. Um, and the other thing I, I also often think about and cite in in the work around behavior change is that there's there is that responsibility at the leaders level but there's also the responsibility of every single employee and and I often think we we do, we all can start a change we all can start a movement because the way most people feel about how they go to work and their experience is based on the team that you're working with so the 10 12 people that you interact with mostly 90% of the time mm. you know, live in large organizations with thousands tens hundreds of thousands of employees and so as an individual every person has the ability to change the narrative the way that that team behaves and how they act with each other and there is again a lot of psychology and research that shows that movement can also happen from the bottom up when two or three teams behave quite differently and and the ripple effect that that has and I think we're having it from the top and from the bottom again there is a much greater chance that organizations will change their their cultures mm. yeah i i to- totally agree with you on, on that and in particular around the, the the groundswell it's um i mean it's what we're experiencing at, at the global level you know and it, it is making real change i mean there's already uh, certain um movements towards reform across various parts in, in the us and that's because you know you have a groundswell of public uh basically saying actually we want change this the behaviors the inequities the injustices that are not concurrent with our system of beliefs um and our system of values as an individual but also as a community and as a as a country and so that has to change and so to your point it's it is at the individual individual level you know understanding your system of beliefs you know educating yourself as to why um the system of beliefs and the the sort of life that you experience, others are not through no condition or no fault of their own, except um, uh, systemic inequality and prejudices, prejudices. And then deciding actually, my system of beliefs means in fairness, in opportunity, in inequality for everybody. So then I have to actively be standing up for those things, and then you know building that beyond just you as an individual to then you know as a team, as a group, as a community, as a, as, you know, uh, as a town, as a, as a nation, really. Yeah, no, d- absolutely. Um, my last question is, um, as, as a black man in a senior position, what advice would you give and how do you help support black communities? Uh, yeah. So when you say advice, do you mean broadly or specifically to the, to the black community? 
both. If you could talk to both, so yeah. broadly and then to the to the black community. Yeah. So the, I mean, the the advice I would give broadly um, is is much as what we've talked about. I think there are two tiers: is the structural tier um, mm -hmm. of things that, that need to be changed, and I, I think that again has to be led by leaders, and there needs to be open and transparent accountability, um, particularly within um, uh, private sector or the industry that I, I'm in is, you know, take an understanding sort of, you know, audit uh, the experience, the the sort of the, the data that you have, you know, around uh, people from the black community or, or others, other community in terms of recruitment and retention and, uh, and progression representation, you know, set real concrete plans with, targets and KPIs um, and put proper investment uh, of both time and money towards uh, towards those changes the the, the social things um, on an individual level it's like it's it starts with education and it starts with you know evaluating uh, uh, your experience um, and looking at your system of beliefs and then uh, understanding the experience that we have within the black community and and why life is different for us because of the systemic issues and then stepping forward to do something about it um you know speaking from within our community um and outside this uh points a bit to outside of it um you know uh recognize that we are a community and there are a ton of initiatives you know out there uh created by people both within and again allied to the community you know like work with them um you mm -hmm. know, we'll get change we will push change through together um, and there's a lot of us doing that now. Um, and, you know, for for organizations, like, again, invest and partner in, you know, these organizations such as, you know, uh, yourselves or Brixton Finishing School, Making the Leap, uh, We Are Stripes that I mentioned earlier on, Creative Network. There, there are people doing good work uh, to drive change. What they need now is um, they need the support, the allyship, uh, the sort of the investment, really. Um, so I would say look for those people those organizations uh, and help you know sort of with pushing their agenda forward because that's that they're, they're the ones that have put so much work into driving towards change and you know the 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 effort and have started a lot of this groundswell um so we need to we need to get behind behind them all uh, really is the the advice that i would take and, and see where we can we can help support and drive things together as a community um from my own personal point of view, as I mentioned before, um, setting up We Are Stripes and then, you know, more recently, uh, Culture Heroes and, and really focusing on how um, I can drive more representation um, for the black community and other underrepresented groups in leadership and then sort of, you know, use that to help drive and sustain, you know, long-term change. Um, personally, spending a lot of time mentoring uh, and uh, uh, sponsoring um, uh, black uh, black people um, and you know other uh, ethnic minorities across the industries, helping with networking and, and sort of placement of jobs. So if you're in a senior position, um, you know whether you are a black person or not, you have influence, you have connections, you know that uh, other people can't, uh, which affects their mobility. Um, you know, use your influence, your connections. It actually takes very for you to yes. manage the introductions yeah. to connect people to recommend mm -hmm. someone that's five minutes of your time yeah and it it's free <laughs> yeah and completely free um 
uh, and you know, sort of if you're you know a senior leader who's uh, um, uh, set up successful businesses, give some of your time towards you know mentoring uh, uh, black-owned businesses, or you know, and or put yourself on the advisory boards of many of the DNI causes. Like, put your intelligence and your experience to sort of good use, which is a lot of what what I've been doing. And I guess the the sort of the, the final thing I've very personal level and, and this is specifically um also advice for uh, other black senior leaders is you know we need to continue to to blaze the path uh really and sort of um set the example for others from our community because you know you, you need to see it to be it as they say and you know we, although it feels like there's a lot on our shoulders it's, it's important that we we represent you know and and you know we we excel um because and then we create opportunities for others that come after us yeah, no, absolutely, and that your voice is that your voice still is is very loud. I actually had a conversation um, with uh, a group of people in in the US yesterday, and they, they were talking around the concept of, of black privilege and those that then have got into senior positions and then be silent or silent, much silent yeah. than they were earlier on in in that career in their career, and making sure that their voice is still still very loud. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Etay, thank you. No, thank you. Your time. I really enjoyed the the, the conversation. I think um, what we finished on there is, as well that point uh, that, that's quite simple. You know, around the the networks and the, and the sponsorship. Yeah. And yeah. I think that there are a number a number of of small simple steps that everyone could be taking today. And then there is obviously. A much longer piece around education, systematic change, and and driving sustained behaviour change. But I think as well, you know, if people are, are wondering or thinking about the one thing that they could do now, um, there's lots of great advice from from what you shared. So so thank you. Yeah, I hope so. All right. Well, thanks, Joanna. Thank you. Cheers. Bye bye. Yeah, goodbye.